1: What's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday. And before we get rolling into today's show, I want to take a quick moment to talk about coffee. That's right, coffee. The Lions of Liberty, we have partnered up with Anarcho Coffee, and we are selling our very own coffee. It's called the Morning Roar. It is a medium dark roast that has cupping notes of lemon, lime, caramel, black pepper, and brown sugar. It is delicious. You can pick up some of this coffee by going to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. We have a, a way there on your first purchase. You can get 10% off, but if you join the pride for $10 and up, you can actually get more than that. You can get 15% off every single order. Buy some coffee. Support the Lions of Liberty. Support another great libertarian company as well. Everybody wins. lionsofliberty.com slash coffee.
0: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt.
1: Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the only show, at least that I know of, the only show out there where each and every single week, every Friday, we, when I say we, I mean I, I, John Odermatt, am focusing on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. And if you're new to Felony Friday, if you're new to Lions of Liberty and what we're doing here on this podcast network that we have, I want you to know Felony Friday is only one of three shows. have a bit of a variety channel here, variety podcast feed. We kick off the week every Monday with a show hosted by Mark Claire It is our flagship program, our longest running program. And Mark focuses on that show. He interviews leaders, thought leaders and activists in the libertarian movement. On Wednesday, we have a show hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is more of a uh, current events show, more of a uh, off-the-cuff show. Brian is a comedian in his spare time, and he brings a very uh, quirky and (laughs) really interesting take on, on current events. He's doing a fantastic job with that show. The show's called Electric Liberty Land, so definitely check that out. These three shows, with Felony Friday, make up the Lions of Liberty podcast. And we've had this feed for a long time, several years. Uh, We're growing and growing in listeners. So if you're a new listener, we'll appreciate you if you go to where you're listening to this podcast right now. Hit that subscribe button. Go give us a uh, five-star rating. Leave a nice little review. Tell us how much you love us. And if you don't love us, then why the heck are you listening? Why? What are you doing to yourself? After you do that... Um, you might want to check out, if you're not driving, of course, you might want to check out the show notes page for this episode because on today's episode, I'm going to be talking to two attorneys who are doing some fantastic things with regards to uh, litigation and protecting people from public sector unions. So what I want you to do is go to lionsofliberty.com slash FF 171. That's where you're going to find the show notes page. You'll be able to read about the cases we're going to talk about today and follow right along with us as we go through each of these cases. So definitely check that out. And I don't want to take up too much of your time. So let's get rolling with today's show. My guests today, that's right. I have two guests today on Felony Friday are David Osborne and Nathan McGrath. They're both from the Fairness Center. Now the Fairness Center is a nonprofit public interest law firm that provides free legal services to those hurt by public sector union officials. Uh, First, I will introduce David. David is the president and general counsel at the Fairness Center. Uh, He provides advice and counsel to clients and directs and manages the firm. He helped to found the Fairness Center in 2014. And uh, prior to that, uh, David practiced law in Florida, where he previously served as clerk to a Florida Supreme Court justice. David, welcome to Felony Friday.
0: Hey there. How you doing?
1: Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. And before we get started, before I introduce Nathan sitting next to you, I got a quick question for you on the naming of the Fairness Center. Yeah. Where'd the name come from? Because I I think it's a fantastic name. Very persuasive. Who doesn't like fair? I mean, who doesn't
0: like fairness? (laughs) Fairness. the term really came from um, some of the laws that at that time were sort of obvious uh, problems for some of our first clients. Um, the laws that were in place at that time are often known as fair share fee laws. Now those laws have, have since been um, declared unconstitutional. We can talk about that. Okay. Um, but uh, we wanted to take back that terminology and use it for our clients.
1: Fantastic. I like it. So it has uh not only is it persuasive, it has has a lot of meaning. So that's uh that's really cool. And Nathan, who I was just talking to, Nathan grew up outside of Pittsburgh. I live in Pittsburgh myself, so uh, that's that's great. That's great to hear right yeah. there. Always good to talk to another native Pittsburgher. Um, Nathan is the vice president and director of litigation of the Fairness Center. He uh, litigates and develops legal strategies to advance the Fairness Center's clients' best interests and prior. To joining the Fairness Center. Nathan was a staff attorney with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation where he practiced constitutional labor and administrative law. Nathan, welcome to Felony Friday.
2: Well, thanks so much for having us. We appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's, uh, it's great to have you both here and it's kind of unique. It's unique for me, at least, to have two guests, especially two guests who are in the same room. I'm bring on, you know, different guests skyping in from different locations. So I think this will be a a
0: cool dynamic. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it took us a little while to make sure we were in the same room for you. So thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For the listeners out there behind the curtain, this is, I think our, our third or fourth attempt. And, uh, I think both, both, both sides of us had, had our, own, our own responsibilities for that. But it's great to finally be speaking with you guys. And really, just before we get started, we have like three cases today that really we want to dig into and talk about, um, really, the, the law behind them and, and sort of things that are happening with the cases. Before we do that, just so my listeners can get to know you guys better, and we'll, we'll start with David, what first really attracted you, number one? to uh, the law, to becoming a lawyer, and then really the, the Fairness Center. So what's, what's, what was your path with that?
0: Well, you and I probably have this in common. I'm a um, big <clears throat> fan of the Constitution. And mm-hmm. um, it's such a, a wonderful foundational document um, that I wanted to devote my life to helping people actually see the fruits of it. So um, for a couple of years, I worked in um, for a member of Congress, but Decided after um, uh, just two years that what I was going to have to do was know the law myself. And Mm -hmm. so I went to law school with that goal to to help people litigate their constitutional rights. And I worked in the court system for a little while, including the Florida Supreme Court. I was a clerk there and uh, a lot of great experience. But what I always wanted to do was this. So in 2014, um, when I had the opportunity, I moved my family up from from, uh, Florida to Pennsylvania to start this thing. And the idea was that um, if we could focus on one problem where people are not getting, uh, getting adequate representation, it'd be this area. Uh, there are, to explain a little bit about how the Fairness Center works, we have very, very simple mission. Our mission is to help those who are hurt by public sector union officials. We provide them free legal representation um, in the court of law. We also represent them in the court of public opinion. And that's an underserved market. It was before we got here. And that's because most of the time, the dollar amounts at issue are relatively small, meaning that if they went to a lawyer about even a great case, they're going to run through the value of their case in a couple of hours during the legal consultation. And so uh, the only way that they were going to get to actually litigate their own rights was to be connected to a lawyer offering free legal representation. So that was the design and it, and it's worked
1: so you mentioned I think you mentioned at least that Pennsylvania the lo- the location there was an the underserved market is that right is is there a reason why Pennsylvania and, and not another state for particularly serving this this uh this need
0: Well, some of the laws that are in place here in Pennsylvania um, have been a unique harm to public sector union employees and um so I, I think that over time, when you don't have a, an organization like ours that are devoted to defending people's rights, mm-hmm. you know, that builds up. It's, it, it starts to uh, calcify over time. And uh, fortunately, um, when we came in, you know all had not been lost. But our clients have, have seen some success.
1: Okay, good stuff. And uh, Nathan, same, same question to you. Right. So <clears throat> I guess
2: my background starts in Western PA. Uh, and after some time I ended up like David, uh, working for a congressman. I was actually down in Washington DC for a number of years, uh, as a policy advisor down there. And, uh, actually, uh, in addition to a bunch of other issues, uh, labor was one of my issues. So I had kind of the perspective from Congress, I suppose, on, on that side of things. And, uh, then I, I went to law school. I was in private practice for a little while in Pittsburgh and uh, really, uh, my next law job after that was with uh, National Right to Work for the foundation. Uh, I fell into it not exactly knowing what I was getting into, quite honestly, and uh, spent about five years there and had a national practice. Got to represent just wonderful uh, individuals around the country uh, who have been uh, harmed in one way or another. Um, often constitutional rights were uh, impinged upon mm-hmm. uh, or violated. And uh, it just became uh, a real love for me to be able to stand with these people of principle and to offer free legal assistance where they would never have that opportunity otherwise. Uh, So after spending some time there, uh, David got a hold of me and and, uh, asked me to think about coming up this way. And after a long recruitment process, uh, I ended up here back in Pennsylvania, Uh, very excited to be here. And it's just worked out wonderfully. And I got to really transfer the practice I had there uh, and the experience up here to Pennsylvania. And so I brought my family up here as well. And uh, so we've been practicing now together for about two and a half years here.
1: So I think a question that listeners might have right now, I know I have it, is free legal services. This sounds great. It's a market where this is needed. It's underserved. How do you do it for free?
0: It, we're a nonprofit um, 501c3 organization. So um, fortunately, the, the IRS has recognized that there's a value in organizations pr- protecting people's uh, constitutional rights. Mm-hmm. So we're able to raise money. Um, we raise it from individuals, businesses, and foundations, and um, they are happy to help see that, that people are provided with excellent legal representation.
1: Well, that's great. Okay, so let's start digging into some of these cases here. Uh, the first one that I have is, where is this? This is up in Connecticut. And I'm not going to give much of the background. I'll let you guys do that. But this is the uh, the IAFF Local 825 versus the Uniform Professional Firefighters Association of Connecticut. So you guys want to start talking about this case, give some background, and then I'll ask you some questions as, as we go through it. Sure. So uh, I guess starting with our client in this case, we actually
2: represent the, the local, the union, uh, mm-hmm. local 825 as we call them. And they are uh, the firefighters of New Haven. So New Haven is a very busy fire company up in Connecticut. Uh, some would say the busiest city fire department. There's about 300 plus of them and uh, just really great group of guys. And we're honored to represent them. And they, uh, a number of years ago, in January of 2016, a new administration came into office in the, the local union there. And they said, hey, you know, we've, we need to get our financial house in order. And so they started looking through the books and they saw that they were paying you know, close to $30,000 to the state union, which is the UPFFA. And, uh, which is on the other side of the V in this case, the defendants. And at first they just said, you know, uh, this is a financial measure. We have nothing against you, but we just can't keep bleeding this money. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, temporarily we're going to suspend being members and and not have to pay. And and once we get, you know, our finances figured out, you know, we'll we'll probably come back. Well, they, their board took a vote. Their executive board took a vote, said, we're going to disaffiliate. Uh, We want to, you know, become basically uh, disaffiliated from the state affiliate, but they would still be affiliated with the national union, IAFF, International Association of Firefighters. And just for your listeners, Mm -hmm. that's how a lot of these unions work. So you have a national or international layer, and then you have a state affiliate that is kind of over all of the particular state, whichever one it happens to be, Connecticut in this case. And then you have the little locals who represent more particular bargaining units. So in this situation, you have a local that's wanting to disaffiliate from the state, but not the national, which is kind of a a unique situation because many unions require what's called unified membership and that they're members the whole way up. So anyway, uh, not to get too deep in the weeds, but so they disaffiliated, they took the vote to disaffiliate from the state and the state union said, nope, you know what, you can't do that and uh, started fighting them on it. And they had this struggle back and forth. Our client uh, stopped paying because they said, we took a vote. We disaffiliated. That's our right to do. Uh, and they had some meetings back and forth and phone conversations. And,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and towards the end of that time period, about two years into it, the state affiliate sent our uh, client to collections agencies and then started the collections agents started calling uh, officer's family members and, and officers really harassing things and at that point the president so, of the So local, they
1: were they were sorry to interrupt you but so they were really uh, harassing them about just the individual dues that they owed to this to the state union
2: yeah exactly so the local would collect all the money from mm-hmm. their individual firefighters and then send it up to the state they called it a per capita amount okay. and so they wanted you know obviously they wanted that money and they didn't want to let our our client uh, disaffiliate. So at that point when the collection agency wasn't getting anywhere and getting the money back, they uh, advised the state affiliate, UPFFA, to sue our client in court. And at that point, our client said, hey, we need help here. And so they reached out to us and uh, we were able to uh, you know determine that it fell within our mission statement and we've been representing them. Uh, so we took up representation for them, filed a lawsuit on their behalf. And, uh, you know, I, I feel at this point we've served them pretty well so far. And so that's kind of the, the background to that case. So
1: so we're talking, I mean, just to, to get the numbers, I guess, straight here, you said 30,000, um, I had seen a a 52,000, I guess that was the continued accrued that was not paid. over that That
2: was the number that they had originally, uh, given
1: mm-hmm.
2: because of the period of time that had elapsed. They would probably say it's more at this point. Okay. And so for our case, what we did, the lawsuit we filed said, well, first of all, we want the court to affirm that our client had disaffiliated properly. And then uh, over the course of those two years that I was talking about, where the our client and the state had argued back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, what our client found out was that the state affiliate and its officers had started had been spending money in a way that our clients didn't believe or even know that it was being spent. So instead of uh, using it for legislative services, which is what our clients signed up for, they were using it for all sorts of other expenditures, a lot of travel, a lot of meals, hotels, uh, and, you know, paying more of the administrative day-to-day work of the union and even collective bargaining on other local unions behalf. So our, our clients said, Whoa, wait a second that's misappropriation of our money. That's Mm -hmm. not what we signed up for. That's not what we're paying for. And so the lawsuit we filed actually includes a couple claims to get that money back for our client.
1: Okay. So it's not, so the lawsuit is more than just being able to disaffiliate. It's getting some, some damages back in return.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Our our client believes that it's close to a hundred thousand dollars that they've paid uh, basically for services that, they weren't wanting to be mm-hmm. you know provided to other unions and not even to them
1: is Is there any precedent for a case like this? Has there been something similar that's been uh, been rolled on recently or
2: i I think our case is somewhat unique in that yeah. you typically don't have a union disaffiliating or disassociating from another union. I think that's mm-hmm. actually pretty unique about this case and we're in some uncharted territory. The concept, though, of uh, disaffiliation from a union has been around for a long time. It's actually what a lot of our cases uh, is about. Uh, we actually filed two cases yesterday that has to do with our client, uh, individual people disaffiliating from their union and and the union saying no. So the concept has actually been around for quite some time. This particular setup in our case is is unique.
0: Unique, but not not totally unheard of. So there is a default rule um, in Connecticut, and this is similar to other states, where when a union wants to disaffiliate, they can do so freely uh, unless they've signed some agreement that that requires them to jump through some hoops or something like that. Right. Yeah. So um, so it's happened before. There was at least some some really good reason to file this case and move forward with these mm-hmm. files.
2: Yeah, and so an interesting twist in this case, after we had filed the lawsuit, uh, the state affiliate, the state union, filed charges, internal charges through the IAFF against our clients' officers, uh, trying to kind of get back at them, really, for filing this lawsuit. I mean, that's literally what the charges were, you know, conduct unbecoming because you filed a lawsuit against us and you've talked about it. And so that started moving on its own tracks through the union system. And we went into court for a preliminary injunction, which basically we're asking the court to put a pause, you know, hit the pause button. That's, that's what that means. Mm -hmm. And so the court uh, after some back and forth, a four day hearing, actually the court sided with our, our uh, client and said, yeah, you know what, you've got to put that other proceeding on hold until we figure out this issue first. Mm -hmm. And then, then you can go forward with it after that. But, uh, so we've already made some ground for our client, but it was just really interesting the tactics that they were taking because they were angry about, you know, our client trying to exercise its right to leave.
1: Yeah, this is a really unique case. That, I mean, the more I think about it, the, the aspect of a union, it's like a union within a union. So it's an organization within a larger organization. And then you have the internal, um, I guess, disciplinary right. ways that they can,
2: that, that is, that's fascinating. There's a lot of moving parts on this case, so we're, we're regularly thinking about how it all fits together. It's a big jigsaw puzzle.
1: What's what's the timetable on it when you think there'll be some, I know it's hard to predict maybe, but do, is there a timetable when you think there'll be a resolution of some kind?
2: Yeah, I mean, actually this, uh, in this case, the court has put out a scheduling order and uh, the actual trial for it all, if we make it that far, is set for uh September of 2020. So the the wheels of justice are moving slowly in this case, but we'll get there.
1: Moving slowly, but they are moving. So they are moving. Indeed. That's good news. Yeah. Um, let's let's move on to the next case here. So th- this one's interesting. I'm gonna have some questions about it. Um, just just really, I'm not sure if I if I really understand what happened here, but that's why you guys are on the show. Uh, so this is the Kiddo et al, uh versus the. What is it? AF- AFSME Local 2206? Did yeah. I say that right? You got it. You got it.
0: Yes, um, the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees.
1: Right on. So we have uh, the Fairness Center, you guys, representing eight of the Erie Waterworks employees, right? Um, so what's what's happening in this case here?
0: Uh, so this is, a, this is a good example of another kind of case that we've litigated uh, for individuals, um, we represent eight public sector employees that work for this this uh, city water authority, and uh, their story really starts uh, back in December of no, let me start in January of uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, yeah, 2018. Um, in January 2018, um, these folks go to a meeting. Um, put on by their union me. And uh, the, the union representatives get up in front of all the union members. And, and this is something that's, that probably a lot of union members have experienced. They present to them a contract for ratification. This is a contract that for the past few months, sometimes longer than that, the union has been negotiating with their employer. Mm-hmm. And, and employees are actually excited to see what's in it. Um, sometimes they have high expectations about what their union has been doing for them all this time. Um, well, uh, our clients were very disappointed at that meeting, and the reason they were disappointed at that meeting is that they had told the union that they wanted certain benefits. Mm-hmm. And some of these benefits had actually um, uh, been offered to other employees at the exact same facility who are in different bargaining units with different unions, and those benefits were not available to them under the contract that the union presented to them. So they started to ask questions. So where is this thing we wanted? What they wanted was, a, um, was a something called a post-employment subsidy. It would have given a little extra money to people after they retired, but before they hit Medicare age. Mm-hmm. So where is that? You know, Some of us are looking at retirement. Well, we told you we wanted it. Where is it? And um, the union said, you know, it's not available. And if we uh, have to go back to the bargaining table to get it, you never know what will happen. In fact, you could lose your pensions. Now, that's a that's a that's a scare tactic. Yeah. They started to look around and say, what do you mean we'll lose our pensions? And uh, it was clarified that, no, no, no. Maybe just that girl will lose her pension. So it it turned into actually a very heated meeting where the employees left. uh, One of our clients left crying because uh, some of the plans that she had for retirement were just not going to be realized. Well, just a few days after that meeting, they get a letter from their employer, and the employer tells them, it's come to our attention that you learned about some of the options that were available during the negotiation period, but there was actually a whole nother option that was available to you that included the post-employment subsidy. It also included a higher raise, and the only concession that we asked the union to make was to move new employees, not you, new employees, onto a defined contribution plan. So all these employees are suddenly thinking, wow, why did the union hide this from us? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason come to find out that the union hid them from them, hid it from them, is that the union was so self-interested in the pension plan and continuing that even for new employees, that they refused to even share with uh with existing employees a better offer. So um These uh, employees Hmm. wondered what to do. You know, by that time, they had not found our organization. And so what they did is they hired a uh, local lawyer. And this is the problem I was mentioning at the outset of this. This local lawyer uh, did some work for them, filed internal union charges. Sometimes you have to exhaust these things before you can go to court. And, uh, but they ran out of money. And so when they ran out of money, they started looking for someone else who could do this. And they found us. And we ended up um, deciding that, uh, just as with Local 825, um, they fit our mission. What they wanted to do was to go back to roll back the clock and re-vote on this thing with full knowledge of of the two options. Mm-hmm. So the legal theory behind this case is something called the duty of fair representation. Okay. A long time ago, um, the the uh, the courts decided that if Unions were going to be exclusive representatives, that is, represent everybody in a particular bargaining unit. They were going to have to do it fairly because at that time, unions were especially guilty of racial discrimination and, and other sort of horrors of that time period. And so the courts imposed on them this duty of fair representation, that if you're going to represent everybody, you got to do it fairly. Um, over time, that has, uh, that has been interpreted as including, you know, not just um, – prohibiting discrimination, but also treating all the members fairly, reasonably with due care, uh, very much like a fiduciary duty, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So this duty of fair representation was violated here in really a couple of different ways. One, um, the union actually hid this offer, this, this option from their employees and concealed it when asked about it. Uh, they basically misrepresented to employees what the options were in front of yeah. them. And then second, um, they've actually imposed a higher standard on themselves. There's a there's a provision within AFSCME's own constitution that's called a Bill of Rights for Members. And this Bill of Rights for Members says that, uh, that members will have the right to participate in the decision-making process of the union and along with that right goes the right to receive all information that's pertinent to exercising that right including information and I'm not just making this up this is all in the Bill of Rights including information like the acceptance or rejection of past offers so uh, the 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 problem for the union here is that they've treated their members unfairly um, and and they've imposed that even that higher standard on themselves that makes it makes it uh it's basically like a promise to members that they've broken. So we went to court for them. We actually just won a preliminary injunction as well in that case to stop everything where it is. Right. As part of that analysis, the judge has to determine that we have a likelihood of success on the merits of that claim. So our clients are feeling very good about that one right now. And uh, we're in position right now to sort of drive the ship and, and hopefully get what these uh, what these clients have been looking for.
1: So, So would winning that case be... Simple is not the right word, but be as direct as getting a revote on that, on that, on those plan options? Or is it more than that?
0: We've asked for a couple things. That's what I'd call like an equitable relief claim. Mm-hmm. You know, we want the court to figure out some way to make these people hold. It's not financial. But um, if it's not that, then there's, um, there the, the remedy for a breach of the duty of fair representation is damages against the union. So- um, we can calculate the the damage to these members that uh, has occurred as a result of the lies that the unions told them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess they could be pretty extensive when you're talking about finances like that, especially with uh, with pensions involved, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on to the the next case here. Um, so this one is is in Pennsylvania, right? I believe uh, Francisco Molina yep. versus the Pennsylvania Social Social Service Union, the Service Employee International Union, the SEIU, and uh, Local Six Six Eight. Yeah. So, what is so? This case has to do with this. Sort of sounds familiar. Maybe I've seen cases like this before with uh, Mr. Molina being a member of the union and a little bit of tactics of force or intimidation being used to try to get him to, to sign a, uh, to sign a u- union membership card and um, him not agreeing to do that. So what what's happening with this case?
0: Yeah, jump in if I'm explaining this the wrong way. Okay. But the, remember I told you about the Janus case. Um, mm-hmm. The Supreme Court decided uh, last year that non-members should not have to pay for the union's representation if they don't want it. Um, That got rid of this thing um, called fair share fees in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, back in also 2018, January 2018, the union, um, uh, Mr. Molina's union, which is in Lehigh County, started to see that maybe uh, the Janus case will get decided against us. Maybe uh, we won't be able to collect fair share fees anymore. So mm-hmm. they came up with a new card, and you're right. Um, there are there are these new membership cards that are making their way across the country, and the membership card would have obligated members um, to pay uh, dues or the equivalent amount, regardless of membership status. Uh, it sounds tricky because it is. It sounds
1: very. Tr- it sounds. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. That's for sure.
0: The idea is even if they resign their membership, mm-hmm. the union's saying that they still have to pay their dues. Now, that's, that's dubious in itself, but mm-hmm. that's what the card said. And um, Mr. Molina also thought, and I think, I think he, he was accurate, say that that would actually mean if he, got, if he left his job or if he transferred to a non-union side, um, maybe he'd also have to pay dues in that circumstance. So he didn't sign the card. And he told a lot of other people within his bargaining unit not to sign the card either, or at least to read it before they did anything. And um, it was only six months later that Janus uh, was uh, uh, was decided by the Supreme Court. And Mr. Molina went. Uh, fortunately, he had not signed that card because his case would have been even more complicated. But the um, he decided shortly after Janus was decided to resign his union membership. The way you do that is you you send a letter to your union and you tell them that you're resigning your union membership, not terribly difficult. Mm -hmm. But after he filed that letter, um, it was only a few weeks later that he was dismissed from his position. Um, He was a a basically social worker with Lehigh County in, in Pennsylvania. Dismissed from his position and they never acknowledged his resignation letter. Um, the union never stopped taking dues out of his paycheck and they never refunded him those dues, at least at this point. So Mr. Molina is, uh, is thinking, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get that back? Um, in the meantime, he's also filed uh, for arbitration. He's trying to get reinstated and get back pay from uh, what he feels like was, was, um, was an un, un, unjust firing. So uh, Mr. Molina um came to us and said, what's going on here? What were my rights? And uh, we eventually filed a case for him. And here's what the case is about there. We filed a number of other cases like this in Pennsylvania because apparently it's an issue. Um, Mr. Molina should have the right to resign from his union whenever he wants. There's a law in the books in Pennsylvania that says uh, you cannot leave your union for years at a time. That is until you're, until the last 15 days of your collective bargaining agreement. So if you were to become a public employee today and you're bound Mm -hmm. by a collective bargaining agreement that runs through 2023, that would mean you would need to go to your Google Calendar and mark off the last 15 days of the contract period in 2023 so that you could be reminded to go and send a letter to your union. In the meantime, during that whole time period, you would have to support an organization with which you disagree.
1: So you only have essentially two weeks... Yep, at the very end. Wow, and
2: and a lot of these contracts, you know, that David's talking about, they run anywhere from three to six years. You know, these Mm -hmm. are not short periods of time that you're like, "Oh, just stay in another month and then we'll let you out." These these are long term deals Mm. that that this provision is put into.
0: So that should be unconstitutional. And so back in the private sector, uh, back in uh, 1986, there was a case. Um, that said uh, private sector employees and unions could not do this to people now, it wasn't a constitutional decision because these are private sector but what it said was it's very it's contrary to the to congress's intent in the national labor relations act it basically my view doesn't serve labor peace to have people involved in a union they don't even want to be a part of so um, that has never been explicitly applied on the merits in the public sector interestingly there have been some cases that have gone as far as uh, preliminary injunctions where they've gotten the same kind of ruling. We're talking about in some of our other cases where um, we are likely to succeed on the merits. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other public employees have raised that very claim and have been likely to succeed on the merits, but no case has, has, uh, has gone all the way to the merits on that. So Mr. Molina wants a ruling definitively that he has the right to leave his union at any time not just the last 15 days of a contract period. And he wants his, his dues back. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He's also made the claim that he should be able to get his dues back even further back to the statute of limitations, because the union has essentially been taking his money. Remember I told you they wanted people to sign new cards. The reason they gave was they said the old cards are invalid. So that was either a complete hoax or they're accurate. (laughs) And the old cards are invalid, but if they are, he should be able to get his money back from that time. Right.
1: So it, this is against, like we talked about it in the first case, sort of like the, the local, the state, and the, um, I don't know, what are they, national-level union?
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah, very similar. And a lot of people who are trying to leave the union face the same kind of problems that the local 825 mm-hmm. union faced when it tried to get out. And I don't think you mentioned it, but they were actually – in Connecticut, in the locally 25 case, the union, the, uh, the bill collector that was enlisted by the statewide union was actually contacting um, union, uh, local union officials, elderly grandparents, like looking for um, contact information for these people. You know, same way bill collectors do with anybody. Yeah. Wow.
2: Just flip open the phone book, go down through everyone who's, you know, similar last name. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Yeah. And this is really a problem. You know, what David was talking about, the the law in Pennsylvania. Uh, is unique. I think early in the conversation, he was talking about an environment in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is one of those states that actually built into the law, there's this restriction on, you know, escaping your union if you want to. And so it, it has led to a fair number of cases here in Pennsylvania that where we represent clients who, that's all they want, they just want, you know, the freedom of association, they want to leave their union, and and be done with it, and not be forced to pay for you know representation and activity that they
0: don't agree with or support. Well We're, we're talking about it very clinically too, like you know because we understand what the law is in this issue. But for mm-hmm. a lot of these folks who come to us, all they've really encountered is I tried to leave, and the union said I couldn't. Is that true? Mm-hmm. They they actually do not know the answer to that because when they go to the statutes, there's a law in the books that says unions can do this kind. Of. When they go to the collective bargaining agreement that the union has come up with with their employer it says that they can be kept in the union for the last until the last 15 days of the contract so they they're they're not presented with information that's accurate and they don't know the experiences of some other people who've actually uh faced the same kind of problems and when they try to get
2: out or they try to ask the union for uh assistance or hey is this true or when can i get out the union does everything from just doesn't respond to them for months to send them letters to say, well, just look at your contract and, and figure it out, and uh, we'll recognize you maybe if you, if you follow that procedure. They'll go to their employer. Oh, this is a good one. They go to their employer and say, hey, I'm looking at this in my contract. What does this mean? Can I get out of the union? And the employer says, yeah, you're going to have to talk to your union about that. And so the the whole circle, the whole cycle, just happens over and over again. We've had clients who, for years, tried to just get an answer, and they haven't been able to get an answer until they found us.
1: That's that's just absolutely crazy. Um, I guess I guess it's not crazy because it sounds pretty common that this stuff does happen. But are there any other organizations like yourself, like the Fairness Center, doing similar work in the United States? For free,
0: sure. I mean, National Right to Work, where uh, uh, where Nathan came from, mm-hmm. has been doing it since what 1968, Eight, something yeah, like that. 1968. So um, they've been real leaders in in this uh, in this kind of law. Um, so yeah, it's been around. I think the way that we we can distinguish ourselves from the work that they've done is that we're focused on two states, Pennsylvania and Connecticut. Okay. And instead of having uh, sort of a, a national perspective, we're able to see some of the, the nuts and bolts in each of these states um, that are hurting people. And uh, it gives us a little bit of a of an edge, at least in these states.
1: One thing you said at, at the very beginning, I forget which one of you said it, that not only are you fighting these cases legally, but also I think you said from a public relations standpoint.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. what are some things that, that you would do from... From that, uh, from that view,
0: so I think in our view, that's that's part of being a, a lawyer. It's um, it's representing people, not just in court, but in the court, public opinion. When mm-hmm. when some when you don't you don't uh, litigate cases that are going to hurt ultimately hurt your client if they're trying to actually operate a business. You know, right. um, with these folks, they have relationships. They have uh, particularly relationships with their employer, with other employees. Um, They have a relationship ultimately with the general public who who they need to think well of them in order for them to do their job. So uh, you want to give some examples of stuff we've done in that?
2: Sure. I I think the example that I often give to people, we have a a line of cases we call the ghost teacher cases. And just real briefly what that is, Mm -hmm. the unions will negotiate for uh, its members or officials to go on what's called union leave time. And that means they go and they work for the union while still receiving their pay, their benefits, their seniority, their pension credits from the public employer. So it's, you know, for instance, take a teacher who's also the local president of the union. Well, the teacher will go and leave the classroom and not even show up for years to teach, and they'll work full time for the union, but be paid as if they were a teacher there and get pensions as if they were teachers there. And so we, Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's one of those things where, you know, this isn't a partisan thing. Everyone I've ever talked to about this across political lines or Mm -hmm. ideological lines has said, well, that kind of sounds a little slimy. And we agree. And uh, so we filed several cases on that. And uh, the cases are still slowly working their way through the court system. But what is so neat and unique about how our law firm approaches this, the court of public opinion, we mm-hmm. publicized our cases. Other organizations kind of picked up on what was going on and, and said, hey, there needs to be some policy research done on this. And, and legislators said, maybe there's a legislative fix. And so between all of that momentum that really built in public, you know, the court of public opinion, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen across this the Commonwealth here, uh, school districts and unions have really reformed their ways on that. And so we've achieved widespread change for our clients which our clients wanted to achieve but not yet through the courts it was through the court of public opinion and that and that's how we really see the value and power of being public with these cases as well as being good attorneys again our our clients tell us what the ultimate goal is and we figure out how to get them there and this is one of the ways we do that
0: and so we filed a um case for one of our clients yesterday and announced it today um and included along with the announcement, a video of him talking a little bit about his case. Mm-hmm. It's very compelling. Um, it's guy named Curtis Thompson. He sort of like uh, Francisco Molina was prevented from resigning his union, and he had been dealing with that for years. So, um, putting that video out in the public so he can really explain for himself why this thing is filed, I think is really important. Uh, we've also testified. We right. mentioned uh, legislation. We've testified and in uh in the legislature for our clients to make sure that the legislature understands the issues we're dealing with um and the law can go the right way a number of things i mean if Mm. it's for clients we'll we'll put ourselves out there
1: yeah well that's awesome i think that's so important especially in today's world where people are sort of i think they're expecting to see a little bit more of the the personal story seeing you know Sort of the behind the scenes, the reality TV of, of really what's going on with because they're used to going on social media Instagram Facebook, and being able to see you know little little short stories things like that mm-hmm. so that's that's very very important so I'm glad to glad to hear you guys are are doing that and I think I'm on the uh, the fairness center emails now so I'll do my best to help <laughs> help uh, draw some attention to the cases as best I can uh, before I let you guys go, if you could just Give our listeners and and viewers uh, one more time where they can find out more about the Fairness Center, where they can maybe get involved and donate to to help fund you.
0: Go to our website. It's like all all of the above. Uh, FairnessCenter.org. All
1: right. Sounds great. Well, thank you guys both for coming on Felony Friday. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Are you tired
1: of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Check us out at thelavaflow.com.
2: Listen to We Are Libertarians at WeAreLibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at WeAreLibertarians.com.
1: Are those dry,
2: boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? <laughs>
0: Always launching ideas in your direction.
1: Thank you guys for listening to today's episode of Felony Friday. Another great show, some great content. I want to thank my guests, David Osborne and Nathan McGrath of the Fairness Center. Uh, hopefully, you know, brought me some great insight. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed hearing about these cases and knowing that there's an organization out there that is fighting for people, protecting the individual against these public sector unions. And, you know, it's, it's, no, it's no secret. I think most people out there who uh, have their eyes open and don't have their heads in the sand understand that, uh, you know, there are some nefarious actors out there in public sector unions, and it's not all for the, uh, all of their actions are not for the, the goodwill of the people. And there's, there's certain things when you're going to need people to step up and step in, lawyers to step up and protect you uh, from these actions when a union does not have your best interest in mind. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that I'm always anti-union are always against unions or against the concept of unions. You know, free association and consensual uh, relationships and and all those types of things are all fine and well and good. But when you get into uh, different situations where there is coercion involved and there's language that is confusing and it's hard to opt out of a, uh, you know, agreement or a contract that you've signed and maybe you were misled into signing it or forced into signing it in a certain way. Uh, It's very important to be able to protect yourself uh, against those types of uh, situations uh, because they can be very confusing and you can feel like you are uh, against the world and there's no way out. So that is why I'm thankful there are people like David and Nathan who have dedicated, literally dedicated their lives to protecting individuals against unions when these things happen. Like I said, Not all unions are bad, but vastly, very often with public sector unions, these types of things do happen over and over again, and uh, it's not a coincidence. It's uh, inherent in the public sector union, and that's probably a, a story for another day to talk about, but for this episode, I want to wrap it up and just thank David And Nathan, one more time, I just want to remind you guys at the top of the show, uh, it's a very top, top, top of the show. I talked about our newest offering that we have through Lions of Liberty. We actually have our own brand of coffee, uh, partnering with Anarcho Coffee with an awesome tasting coffee called The Morning Roar. If you haven't checked it out, please, please consider doing so. If you drink coffee, why would you not drink a delicious, tasty coffee and also help out two, two fantastic libertarian enterprises. One of them being Lions of Liberty, the show you're listening to right now. The other being Anarcho Coffee. Uh, so the way to do that, the way to support both is you have to buy through our link at lionsofliberty.com backslash, or I'll just say linesofliberty.com slash coffee. Go there, click that link that's our affiliate link that makes sure that we get a little bit of the commissions from the sale of the coffee and the uh, that's the reason why we're promoting the coffee really is to get those commissions. so please go and click the link we would appreciate it very much and with that being said guys you can get a little, I, I I should add before I let you go before before I sign off here, you can get a greater discount on the coffee. You'll see on the, the site there when you go to lionsofliberty.com coffee, you'll see you can get 10% off with the code there on your first purchase. If you want to get continuing on every single purchase, 15% off, you got to join the Lions of Liberty Pride at $10 and up uh, to get access to that code. That's $10 per month that you would subscribe to Lions of Liberty Pride. So you're going to get the coffee code, 15% off. You're going to get a bunch of other stuff, merchandise. You're going to get access to our bonus content, all that great stuff. You can read read all about it at patreon.com slash Liberty. That's all I got for today. Thank you so much for listening to this very, very important episode of Felony Friday. Today, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up. And the fires of liberty burning.